So this morning we're going to pick up where we've left off here. If you're in our family groups, you know we're actually in week seven of Gospel-Centered Life. It's this material that we're heading through right now. And we've been talking about this for seven weeks now, about what it really means to have a life that's centered, that's, that's oriented around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We say it a lot as Christians, but what does it really look like? And, and I know for a fact that some of the experiences that we've been having in our, in our family groups and stuff have challenged that notion for us. Someone said about this material, and I don't know if you're in a family group or not, they said, the amazing thing is that there are folks who are very young in their faith, they would say. They just barely believe in Jesus, and that seemed like enough for now. And yet this material is challenging them and growing them by the grace of God. And there's folks who are saying, I've been a believer for a long time, and I've not really applied a lot of the stuff to my life. And praise God for all of that work. The same work he does in any of us, he does in all of us, and it's all to his glory. But I did want to say that it's been a, a great blessing going through this. And I wanted to ask as we open this morning, is there anything that you wanted to share from your family group experience? And by the way, I know we're, family groups aren't a time that we usually come out and share. So you don't share personal things. I know there's been a lot of deep sharing happening. But any kind of revelations or epiphanies, especially to you? Yeah, we had a pretty tough week with loving our neighbors, didn't we? <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for the, the rear end kicking. That was good. Yeah, a constant reminder to love your neighbor. Anybody else? Yeah, Rick. I'll take a chance. Go. Well, unfortunately, I've been doing some traveling. I've shown love for God and love for other people. Yeah. And I know you're hard on this, and we don't sing praises to the material. We believe that God inspired it. God is using it among us as we are faithfully showing up and setting down and letting it speak to us speak over us. It, it is challenging. We had the same thing about having a right motivation in what we do. You don't do it because you ought to do it. We're going to talk about that today. You do it because you get to do it, but it's the right motivation in our hearts. It makes all the difference. All the difference in the world. Anybody else want to share anything? Yeah. Mike? I think uh, uh, the first six chapters kind of showed us that we need to clean up our own backyard before we start getting into somebody else's backyard. Now it's starting to show us once we start to realize that our backyard is filthy enough, we need to clean it up. Makes it easy then to turn it out and try to do it in a loving manner and not just do it in a manner that they build walls right in front of you by saying, you know, you can't go to preach to anybody. You just have to show them the love that God's shown you. And that's what opens the doors. So. Yeah, no doubt. Good observation, too. That the material's kind of divided into three sets, one through three, four through six, and now seven through nine. So we're kind of turning that last corner on the material. Good stuff. I'm, I know there's more, and I would encourage you guys to talk amongst yourselves about it as you experience something and you're excited. Go and just share it with somebody. You'd be amazed at how much that would mean to them in their life, that they would hear that word from you, how God's been speaking to you or working, in, working things through in your life. Uh, that's our challenge to do that with each other. So I would encourage you to do that. Well, the question that we always start with here, and this is, this is just our habit now, and I know some of you are probably like maybe done with this habit, but I'm going to ask the question, what is the gospel? Hey, Carrie, Carrie's going to give us the answer. You're back. Last week you weren't here to give it. What is the gospel? Well, we're going to go ahead. We're, there's two places in the Bible that it's found. There's more than that. Okay, let me back up. But we've been talking about two particular places in Scripture that we find it. And I do want to run through real quick. And the first is where? Do you remember where it was? It was at the beginning of the series. We talked about it for three weeks. 
Yeah, 1 Corinthians 15. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want to. 1 Corinthians 15. And 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us four fundamental things about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And in Corinthians, he says, The gospel is the first thing I gave to you, and this is what it is, that Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture, that he was buried and was raised on the third day, according to Scripture. And then he goes to a whole list of people that he appeared to, that Jesus appeared to a bunch of people. And and Paul says, even to me, as one abnormally born. And so I'm just going to pull up the whole list here. So this is kind of the fourfold revelation of the gospel from 1 Corinthians. Kind of shows us all four of those steps there. The next text that we talked about was what? Does anybody remember? It's Romans. Romans 1, right? Romans 1, 16 and 17. And again, you don't have to turn there. I just want to remind you of what we've heard about the gospel because all this is kind of cumulative effect as we open the word today. But this is what it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Paul says, this gospel, this this fact that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to us is the fundamental truth of our life. And Paul says in Romans, in fact, it's actually the very power of God, the very dunamis of God in our lives. There is no other source of power in our lives but the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where the power comes from. And so this gospel that we explain, this gospel that we believe, that we receive, is the very power of God in our lives. Paul also makes the point in that passage to say that the gospel has a priority in our lives as well. And then the last thing we talked about last week is that this same gospel reveals a righteousness that is not of our own, but it's actually a righteousness of faith, a righteousness, it says, from faith to faith. It's a new righteousness from God revealed to us. And so all three, all two of those two texts have those kind of revelations about the gospel. But today I want to turn, if we could pull that slide up, man, this is not working again today. If we want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. So turn there if you would. 1 Corinthians, this is going to be our final stop on this kind of the fundamentals of the gospel. And and I, this is a rather long one. I'm going to read it because I want you to hear the word, but we're going to talk about a few particular things in it. But I want you to hear the word, so let's, let's read it together. Actually, before we read it, let's pray again that God would open our minds to his word. Father God, today we thank you for your revealed scripture. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that inspired men to write down your very words for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that now comes and, and dwells among us to show us, to teach us, to rebuke us, Lord, to, to exp- uh, open the scriptures and our minds to them. And today, Father, we trust you with that work. We pray. We've already said the prayer in a song, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And we ask you right now, Father, to come and to dwell richly with us, to to make your word alive to us today. We know it's the living word. We give you praise and glory for the work you're doing and what you continue to do in our lives. And thanks forever in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. I'm just going to start reading. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's the same idea for you. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness 
of what was preached to save those who believe. That's a mouthful. We'll get there. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you, you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble of birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one can boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God, from God. That is, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boasts in God alone. Now that is a huge piece of text. And I have to tell you, when I was praying through it, I kept thinking, let's just talk. I, don't, I just want to read that one little part, Lord. But I wanted you to hear the whole context because this gospel that we believe is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's complete madness. The word proclaims it about itself. You might think if I were to say that to you, you'd say, well, that's a crazy thing to say. Why would you say the gospel is foolishness? The word says it. It's, the, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. If you don't understand why you cannot explain the power, the majesty, the beauty, the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who don't yet know him, you shouldn't be surprised because it's absolute madness. It's crazy. You know, this is one of the things I think that keeps us from being who we're called to be in Christ because we're afraid of being the crazy one. All the wise people of the world are going to say, you're, you're nuts. Well, how does that work? Explain that to me. I've got a good education. I can't believe that stuff. God's wisdom is wiser than man. God's weakest wisdom is wiser than man's greatest wisdom. The gospel, this, he, he confesses it there again. It's the message of the cross. That's the gospel. See what it says there? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the very dunamis of God. It's a reiteration of what he said in Romans. The same gospel, it's the very power of God to us. And I want you to own that. I don't want you to back away from that. Be afraid of that. Because that's the truth of the gospel. I would actually say to you this morning that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have none of the credit for it. It was God that revealed it to you. It was God that worked in your heart. I tell you today, if you're here and you don't know him, you have not owned the crazy upside-down gospel of Jesus. If you don't proclaim it in your life today, it's because God hasn't drawn you to that place. But you're here. That's no mistake. You're here today. God is drawing you in to his gospel work, his kingdom work, the message of the cross. I want to show you one thing in this, and we're going to jump into some other texts this morning. But after he goes through all the list of, of what the gospel is, you know, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, and it's the very, the very power of God for those who are being saved, right? Verse 23, look at what it says. But we preach Christ crucified. 
No matter how crazy it seems, no matter how irrelevant people might claim that it is, no matter how useless it seems to say it, the gospel that we preach is this one we showed earlier, that Christ died for our sins, that he was raised again according to scriptures, and that he appeared to us. It's our proclamation to the world. 23 says, but in spite of all of these things, in spite of the people who want miraculous signs or more wisdom or better understanding, all we proclaim to the world is Christ crucified. Look at what it says. It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, whoever you are, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. There is no greater wisdom in the world than the gospel. There is no greater power in the world than the gospel. And I want to say that the more we cling to that, the, the foolishness of it, the more we don't try to defend God, defend the cross, defend Christianity, the more God is glorified by what he does through his name. We hold on to that, that, that we received from him. We were actually called, it says there in verse 23, but to those in 24, to those who God has called, right? Look in 26, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Back at the opening of this chapter, the church in Corinth, those sanctified in Jesus Christ, in verse 2, together with all those everywhere who call in the name of Jesus Christ, their Lord, grace and peace to you. It's those who are called by God. And I want to say, if you follow Jesus, if you believed Jesus, if you have heard and received the gospel, you are called into kingdom work. You are called to be part of kingdom work. Now, I've talked to some of you, and, and especially, you know, Mike just shared a moment ago, we don't go out, we don't preach, right? We're going to talk about that very thing today. Because Paul says here, we preach the gospel, we preach Christ crucified. It's what we profess, what we proclaim, but many people will say, yeah, but I'm not gifted in, you know, and, and Mike said, we don't go out and preach. We go out, we, we clean up somebody's back. We go out and we help. Absolutely. Bear witness. But somebody might say, well, I'm not gifted in that, though. I'm not gifted in this. The truth of the matter is that you were called to it if you were a believer in Jesus. It's not an option. It's not do it if you can. Do it if you feel like it. God has gifted you, equipped you, and called you to proclaim his gospel to the world. So today we're actually going to talk about this very calling of God, the gospel that moves us. We started out, as Mike's already pointed out, we started out with this kind of inward journey, what the gospel does in us. Then we talked about what the gospel does to us, how it changes us. And now we're going to talk about what the gospel does through us, how it moves in our lives. It's not dormant. It's not complacent. It's not apathetic. It's moving. It's living and active, the Word of God is. And so we're going to talk about that now. So today, our focus is this being motivated for mission. The gospel that we receive, that we believe, doesn't lay dormant in our life. The same inward movement results in an outward movement as well. Now, I have this illustration I want to share with you, and this is going to be, this is going to be some heavy lifting here with our technology, but we're going to do our best to do it. We know that everything, everything begins and ends with God's grace. Whatever it is in your life, wherever you are, it begins and ends with the very grace of God who created you. That's the truth. 
That's the truth that God has revealed to us. And so we've been talking about this grace internally and how it works in our lives. And so for the benefit of those of you who aren't in a family group right now, I wanted to show you what we've been talking about in family groups, and you've been hearing it here as well. So we have this kind of circle on this, on this side here, this inward movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is the first movement, which is this recognition of sin, seeing sin in our lives, right? It's going to be right here. It's the first thing. And you might not feel like when you see sin in your life that this is a gift of God's grace to you. A lot of times it feels like it's not God's grace at all because you, you, you know it for the first time. So the first thing we do is we see sin. We see sin in our lives. And that actually leads us to this repentance, which actually requires faith. Whenever we repent of our sin, it requires faith to believe that God is going to forgive it, that God is going to do what he said he's going to do in our lives, right? And then the third is this experiencing joy. So this becomes the cycle of life for a Christian. It's not once and for all. You came, you gave your life at a camp or at a, at a special event, at a concert, at a crusade. Praise God. And that was one time through the loop. You saw the sin of your life. You repented of your sin and believed on Jesus Christ's name. That's the key. You put faith, trust in him. And then you experience this joy. And boy, the first time, I have to say, the first time the fruit is so sweet. The first time it can change your life. But then many of us spend the rest of our lives looking back at that. And that's what we've been realizing through the study, actually, is that this is a cycle that we go back to God's grace and we're rejoicing in God. And then we start to re realize the gravity, the greatness of God and our, our, our lack of righteousness. And we return to God's grace and we say, God, show me, reveal more. I want to be more like you. I want to be more like your son who died for our sins. I want to be in a life compelled by your spirit. And he just stirs the pot again. He shows us sin and we, oh, it hurts. And then we repent. And then we claim by faith the promises that God has spoken over us. Do you know God spoke promises over you? Do you know that he has spoken promises over you? For many of us, some people have said, I, I hear the promises of God. He reveals them to me. That's awesome. You know where I most often, I have to read it in the word. And I have to put myself there. We can turn the people in this book into super saints. All the way back from Abram, who was calling to a far off land, we can turn him into super Abram, super Abraham. Oh yeah, of course he had faith. He's in the Bible. No, he was just like us. Paul, the guy who wrote all these letters, just like us. The thing that they figured out that you and I need to figure out is that they return to the wellspring of life. They return to Jesus Christ on the cross. They return to the hope they found in him. And through that life, they begin to be healed. They begin to go around, and this circle continues in our life. And we see more, and we repent more, and we hold on loosely. We claim no righteousness of our own, but we claim the righteousness revealed by God. It will change everything. I have this saying, and I've been just repeating it in my head, that, that I have nothing to prove and nothing to lose because of Christ Jesus. Nothing to prove and nothing to lose. I can just go and be totally broken before him again. God, I failed again in this way. It's not a license to sin, but it's, it's, it's permission to repent and to, to receive the gift again, to experience joy. And then we dwell richer with God. How cool is that? So all this stuff over here is actually inward. These are all inward movements. And this is actually how we experience God loving us. 
over here on this side. It's the way God loves us, shows his love to us. What this week is about is this whole other side to the equation that we don't often talk about. Maybe we do. I mean, I don't know if that's fair to say, but it's this whole other thing. So go ahead and push that next one. This is going to be the, the inward movement and this next one, the God's love for us right here. And then the same thing now, the same grace that's compelling us on this side internally, changing us internally, is going to begin to change us outwardly. And this is going to be the outward movement of God. And this is going to be God's love for others and my love for God. You know, often whenever I stand and we sing a song about, you know, Lord, I love you. God, I love you. I feel a little bit like I'm cheating on the quiz. I feel like I've seen the answers to the book because the love that I have for God is nothing more than his love given to me and reflected back to him. I know for a fact if I was left in a room by myself to my own devices, I would be a God hater. I would have no love for him. I'd be self-righteous. God over my own domain. God doesn't leave us alone. And in this place, we begin this outward movement, this outward expression in our lives. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. And we love God, and we love others. It's what we say here at Family Bible Church that we're about. So this is actually the outward movement of God. All this over here is the inward, God just loving me. And because of that movement, I begin to love God and love others. It's a gift from him. Now, in the same way, that circle begins over here, and it's going to churn just like this, right? I wish I had a better illustration, but this is what we got, right, to work with today. And the first thing is that we see ministry opportunities that are before us. I, I've talked to you guys about this before. One of the things that's really frustrating to me as a fellow believer in Jesus Christ is someone who is also a believer in Jesus Christ coming up and telling me what somebody ought to do. Do you hear what I'm saying? Someone comes up and says, you know what? Somebody ought to do something about that. You know what I saw? You know what I heard? Someone ought to do something. And in my mind, there's this great big neon sign that's screaming back, you, it's you. People, well, I'm, I'm not, that's not what I'm called. God revealed it to you. It's seeing a ministry opportunity. It's seeing a mission in our life. And we see an opportunity, and God's revealed it to you. And instead of doing something, what God has equipped us to do, we run around to people who have really nothing to do with it, and we say, look at this, someone ought to help. Look at this, someone ought to help. Look at this, someone ought to help. And God's up there going, I showed it to you. I've called you. What did 1 Corinthians say? You know, because if you want to say that old line, I'm not gifted, or that's not my thing. God says what? I've called the foolish to confound the wise. I've called the weak to confound the strong. I've called the things that are not as though they were to remove power from the world, to claim power for myself. It's nothing short of a miracle in our lives. And so in this place, we see the mission. We see it. We see the opportunity. It's right before us. And God's going here. You know, it's like slow pitch. You know, it's, it's, just, it's, it's like T-ball. He starts off right where we're at. And he says, watch this. He's training you. You're called to kingdom work. Watch this. The next step is going to be selfless service and faith. And that, and that means dying to yourself in some way to make this happen. And that's why we want someone else to do something, because we don't want to pay the price for it. 
that's why we're showing it to everybody else. If someone would just take this off my hands, I would be relieved. Because <laughs> I don't want to deal with it. And God says, I showed it to you. And you have to die in some way to do it. You have to give something up to make it happen. Selfless service and faith. By the way, I want to point out that this service and faith, you can leave it up there, Matthew, this service and faith right here is the same thing as exercising faith on the other side. These are exactly the same. Because even when you stand in the gap, even when you go to the place that you know you're not qualified to go, except for Jesus Christ on the cross, when you've been reve- something revealed and you say, man, I'm out of my element, I'm in over my head, in that place, your work is not your own. Your work is done in faith that God will make it happen. You stand there in that gap and you don't proclaim, I'm here to save the day. You proclaim, God is here to save the day. And he called me to help out. You know what I mean? And so this service of faith is an act of faith. It's an act of believing. So many people have said, if Christianity is true and people believe what they say they believe, why isn't the world different? Because we don't believe it. Do we believe that Christ is going to have all authority as his footstool, all dominions and power under his feet at the end of the day as part of his lazy boy? We don't act like it. We're afraid of that stuff. Christ defeated it. Christ did the work. And so when we come out and we serve in these places, these missions, it's not us, but it's God. There's no other way it could happen. And then the cool thing is this, because see, here's the thing. I love the prayer, by the way, last week. Yes, Lord, I believe. The guy comes and he says, will you heal my daughter? And he says, do you believe? And he says, yes, Lord, I believe. Help with my unbelief. God gives us enough grace that when we show up in those places and we go, I got no business here. I got no idea what I'm doing here. But God called me and I'm going to trust him with it. In that moment, the only reason, well, I won't say the only reason, but one of the reasons I rejoice with God so much is because it's so cool to see him work. Because you know you show up with like half a bucket, if that, a quarter of a bucket, a, a thimbleful. You show up with so little to offer. And you're like, I, I'm, I'm scared, God. I'm not, what are we going to do? And God just goes, goosh. And you rejoice with God. And you go running back. You come here. It's one place we do it. And we start to get really excited about worship. And we put our hands up in the air. We jump up and down. And we say, God is moving. God is moving. You won't believe what he did. I got to show up. And all I said was this one thing. And I prayed with this person. And their whole lives have changed. Why? Because of the grace of God. Just the grace of God in our lives. It's the proclamation of the word. Here's the thing, though. I wonder if we really even believe we're on a mission. I really do. That was my question in family group this week. Uh, do we really believe it? We throw around the word mission, missionary, missional. Do we really believe that we're part of the kingdom work of God? I want to show you something in the scriptures. It's going to be in Acts. You're going to turn there with me, if you would. Acts chapter 1. Right away at the beginning of Acts We'll get a page number for you if you're using one of our Bibles in the chairs. Acts page 756 in one of our Bibles. We're going to just read verse 8. By the way, if you want to read this whole kind of segment, that's one of the next steps for this week. It's a pretty easy read. These are the last words that Jesus tells us, his church. These are the last words that he tells those he's sending out. And I just want you to read with me in, in verse 8 only. This is what Jesus says. If you have one of a Bible like mine, it's got red letter, which I always appreciate red letter because it helps me pay attention. So Jesus says this, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's his last words. Look at verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. The last thing, by the way, they're asking all kinds of questions. They got a million, Jesus, I got some questions for you. I got some questions for you. And he says, I got one thing to say to you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to notice what he says. You will be my witnesses. Look at it. It's like the second part of eight. You will be my witnesses. Again, it's not an option. It's not a, if we feel like it. It's not even up to us. God is working in our lives to bear witness to his glory to the world. I want you to recall with me, uh, well, the first thing is just that we're going to be witnesses, right? And, and, and the question is how. This becomes a natural outflow, what we showed earlier up here. When we get into the cycle of repentance and of rejoicing in God, we can't help but have an outflowing, an outpouring for others. We can't help but share what we see working in our own lives. And so when these things begin to go and churn, we just begin to live in the Spirit of God. We begin to live in His Holy Spirit. But that's what I want to talk about. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized, what happened? If any of you have been baptized, I've had someone when I was baptized warn me, this may not happen with you, right? When Jesus was baptized, it says he went in the water, and John pulled him out of the water, and the heavens tore open, and the Holy Spirit came down and descended on him in that moment, and the Father spoke. And many of us want to caution each other that, you know, it might not be the same for you. You might have a little less magnificent experience, I want to say, than those same ways God is moving in your life if you're following Jesus. I want to say that when you become a believer, you know what says heaven rejoices at a, at a sinner who's come to belief in Christ? The heavens tear open and the Holy Spirit comes and rests on you in your life. It's true for Jesus and it's true for us. And the Father speaks over us. And in that time, he calls the things that are not as though they are, and that we're forever changed, and our mission is laid out before us. It's a natural outflowing of our life in God, a natural outflowing in our life in God. I want to show you one other text. This can be Ephesians. Again, chapter 1 of Ephesians, 11 through 14, page 811, if you're using one of ours. This is, I, want, I want you to see, because this is something I want to say that we're not comfortable. We prayed earlier, Holy Spirit would come. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is the power of God in your life, and, and he's speaking these things over you. I want you to hear what the word says, in ele- in, starting in verse 11 of chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. He says, in him, that's in Jesus, in Christ, right, we were also chosen. I'm going to look at my footnote here. It says something about... Um, uh, It's not a big deal, but I did want to hit it, and I'm a little baffled here for a moment. That's okay. I'll be back. Okay. Or made heirs. That's, you know, you were were made sons of God. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. You were made heirs, the earlier texts say. So in verse 11 again, 
In him, we were also chosen or made heirs to the throne, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purposes of his will, that's God working things out, in order that we, you and I, who were the first hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. You and I are the praise of God's glory. Look at what it says in 13. And you also were included in Christ. Here it is. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal that is the promised Holy Spirit, who is deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I want to say that if you have received the gospel of Christ, you have the seal, the mark of the Holy Spirit on you. It's on you. It's in you. It's in your life. And therefore, our ministry becomes an outpouring of this gift, this presence of the Holy Spirit with us. The Holy Spirit and the whole concept, and we're going to probably spend some time on this coming up, you know, maybe in the spring. We're a little afraid of it because some people believe the Holy Spirit has to manifest in certain ways, has to come. But I don't want to back away from a minute from the, from the Trinity of God. Three in one, that's what we confess. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that means that in this same seal, this deposit, we have an eternal glory, a gift for the inheritance that is coming as God's possession. Again, to the praise of his glory. And so in this place of living, this, this is exactly it, that process, those, that's all the work of God, which includes the Son and the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is a natural outflow, an outpouring of the Spirit of God. And outpouring. So, many of you might be sitting here today saying, well, that's great, man. I, I got what you said, and I just don't know how that works. I don't see it in my life. You know, I'm kind of con congested. <laughs> I'm kind of constipated, maybe. I can't get it out. I'm doing this stuff over here by myself, and I just feel icky. I just feel like it's not working because it's all made to work together. And if we're actually blocking, if we're not doing the mission of God, the missio Dei in our lives, if we're not living out the gospel of Christ, of course we're all backed up because he's just pouring into you and you're not pouring it out anywhere else. So I want to show you four steps. These came from material this week on getting on mission, getting on mission in your life. And the first is this. Look around and identify in your life an opportunity where you're not motivated to serve. If there has been something that God has revealed to you and you just don't want to deal with it, just acknowledge that first. Look at that place and identify that opportunity in your life. And the second part, and this is going to sound very familiar for those of you who were here last week, that second part is going to be very much like last week, is after you've identified, last week was the outward sin, this is the outward lack, apathy towards the work that God has called us to. You look at that and you admit it and you say, man, I just, ugh, I just don't want to do it. It scares me. Lord, I, I can't. I'm afraid. Whatever it is. The second thing is to examine the heart behind that. What is it in here that you believe you can't do that? What is it in here that you think that God is incapable of? What do you think it is that he's not called you to in your life? Because we've already seen today, if you believe you're surely called, you are certainly called to be part of his work. So the second is through prayer and reflection, ask, why am I not doing that? 
And this isn't you confessing here on a Sunday morning. This isn't, you know, you come and you say, boy, I'm feeling really bad because, you know, you said that and now I'm not doing this stuff and I feel really bad about it and I don't know what to do, Bill, and could you help me out? No. God can. That's where you take that stuff. You acknowledge it and you go to God and you just be honest. I can't deal with it. I don't know why you let me see it. I don't know why I'm part of it. I don't know what's going on, Lord. He'll reveal to you your heart condition where you're not trusting him fully. You're not living out the things he's called you to. And in that place, just like this other side, you repent. You just turn away from it. And you repent, and then you claim in faith the things that God is doing, that he has spoken over you in your life. You express your faith by trusting God in that situation, and just let it be. Rick said this earlier to us. You don't do it because you have to do it. You don't do it because you ought to do it. You do it because you get to do it. God's allowing you to be part of his work. And so you just wait. Let that ruminate. Let that work. Trust God with it. Pray through it. And let him change your heart. And don't move until your heart's changed. But when your heart's changed, your feet won't stop. When your heart's changed, your, your feet will just go. You'll be like on autopilot. You're going to go over there and do an inhale. You're like, I don't know. This is crazy. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what's happened. And God's like, oh, I'm moving in your life. The most profound witness we have to the gospel of Jesus is Jesus himself. You have not seen nor met a more deliberate person in your life. If you read the Gospels of Jesus, he would walk through a crowd when people were trying to kill him because he knew it wasn't his time. He fixed his eyes on a cross on a hill because he knew it had to be done. Whenever Peter would say, no way are they going to take my Savior, he had his eyes fixed on what God was going to do in his life. Jesus becomes the ultimate reality of this, the ultimate revelation of this, being set on a mission from God. I want to read you something. It's from Hebrews. It comes after the, 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 the faith chapter. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It comes in chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. I just want you to hear this with me because in this, in this place, Jesus becomes the example of how we're to live, how we're to give, how we're to have faith, and how we're to rejoice. Listen to what the word says in Hebrews 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Christ, on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We talked about that before here. Who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He scorned its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's the most miraculous thing ever that God himself would die for you. That God himself would die for me. I can't get my head around it. You know, I have no power. I have no ability. I have nothing going for me. But I can tell you that if I was asked to lay down and open my palms up and let somebody who's so much less than me nail me to a cross, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it. 
called down angels from heaven, called my father and said, get me out of here. Destroy these people. But not Jesus. The gospel is this, that God came in human form and he laid down and opened his palms and let some greasy Roman soldiers nail him to a tree. The word says, for the joy set before him, he did this. For the joy of one sinner who turns to God, Jesus saw it. For the joy of every sin that's defeated, every sin that's forgiven, every sin that's banished from the kingdom of God, Jesus did it. For the joy of one life that's resurrected in him, Jesus did it. That's the gospel we proclaim. It's the gospel that I'm sharing with you today. If you don't know that, the foolishness of the cross, if you've not owned that today, I'm going to invite you to do it. I'm going to ask Justin to come back up. I'm going to close in a prayer. This isn't magic time. This is God's time. You don't have to come up here and be a show. I want you to be before God in this moment as I am today. Let's pray together. Father God, today we, we just say thank you, thank you, thank you for the gospel you revealed. Thank you for the righteousness we found in Christ our Savior. Thank you for his willingness to do hard things for us, impossible things for us. And today, Lord, if, if, if there's folks here who don't know you at all, I pray that your spirit would be breaking into their heart today, whatever that means. And for those of us who have become callous to the gospel, become hard against your work in our lives, Father, I pray you would be chipping away at the fear, chipping away at the isolation, and giving us hearts like yours, hearts to die for one another. We love you and thank you. We proclaim your glory. I pray, Lord, that all the hard work will be done in prayer clauses between you and your people and not for a show so that this work is not a work of man but your work alone. We give you praise and glory and thanks today for the one who paid the price. In Jesus' name, amen.